Did you know Ridley Scott is producing a film adaptation of the Icelandic thriller novel Outside? No, I did not. I often like northern thriller authors, mm-hmm. you know, like Norwegians and Swedens, Swedish Swedens. Yeah, because that's a word. <laughs> All the different uh, Swedens I know. Icelandic, because I like that cold, things in the cold. I don't know, growing up in California, maybe I just... Yeah, it's that's the thing you don't know as much about or haven't experienced. I don't know. So Icelandic author Ragnar Jonasson. I don't know. I don't I did not pronounce that right. It's a winter thriller called Outside is being published this coming June 28th. And Deadline was reporting that there's already a movie adaptation in the works. But it's Ridley Scott. I really like Ridley Scott movies. So the Heinrich Hansen is in talks to direct the movie. Let me just tell you what it's about. The story follows four friends seeking shelter in a small abandoned hunting lodge during a deadly Icelandic storm. So, you know, we've seen that, but all right. Miles from help and knowing they will die outside in the cold, they break open the lock and make their way inside, hoping to wait out the storm until morning. But nothing can prepare them for what they find behind the door. (laughs) Okay. I mean, he's a visionary, that Ridley Scott. I like Ridley so Scott. I'm looking forward to it. The book looks good too. I'm I'm think I'm considering. I am considering. That sounds serious. Yeah. What you got? Uh well, I looked up an article and I know that you've done a lot of like workshops and how to write and understand like a lot of the stuff that makes a story more intriguing or because there is a formula. You bet. Um, And there are different ways that you can write something or put something together that will make it more memorable than something that ends up just being a little bit surfaced and boring. And I think that with a lot of the different horror movies that we watch, especially slashers, there are way more bad ones than there are good ones. And I think it's for that reason. If you really think about some of the more legendary, uh, you know, trilogies or whatever, there, there is a, a, a certain formula that's used in the writing that helps us really attach to the villain or the antihero. And so this is an article, it's called Key Ingredients for an Unforgettable Killer in Slasher, uh, slasher Horror. And it's by Alexandra Weiss or Weiss. I don't know how she pronounces it. So first of all, you know, she talks about how obviously horror is a wildly profitable and popular genre which profits off of deranged characters, right. deranged murders, but one that we we love and hate, right? So there's there's the feeling of both in conjunction with a riveting backstory. And so those two things together come together to make the character more memorable. So without that backstory that we care about, mm-hmm. we're not really going to attach to the character. And you and I have talked a lot about just if something's more character-driven, we tend to remember it more. We tend to like it more. So she goes on to say that, you know, the bent personality of the character is definitely not enough. It's only one aspect. The villain also needs motivation. So, you know, we've watched movies before where the the character's like completely deranged and crazy and it's gratuitous and there's all the shock value. But by the end of it, we're like, I don't care. So she goes on to talk about, you know, the villain really needs motivation and, a, and a, a strong backstory that sometimes precedes what you even know in the very first film. And I'll talk about Freddy Krueger in a moment and how there was so much backstory to him. And I think that's why a lot of people um, who understood who he was before he died gave the the viewer 
more to go on than just it being a slasher. And we all, those of us that grew up with Fre- uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, were loved Freddy for that reason. He was a really deranged character, but there was a deep psychological motivation behind what he did and why. So um, the villain needs motivation providing credibility to either one of two things. There's either a revenge going on or they're eliminating people who are getting in the way of their success. It's mm-hmm. usually one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, more importantly, there's a why behind the slaughter. And you and I have also talked about um, Kane Hodder and how he, as Jason, was way more attractive and the and and more people started to really love Jason when Kane played Jason because he did play Jason with a purpose. So much that sometimes he would stop the director and go, Jason wouldn't do that. Exactly. He, and, had, he had, had a, like, he wanted the character to be real and alive and congruent. Even totally. So it didn't have any lines. And I think we all felt that without even knowing, Absolutely. I didn't even know Kane Hodder at that time. And I was like, there is a big difference in how Jason is at that time compared to the first couple where he's just kind of this robot. Uh, we see this also with Norman Bates and Psycho, right? So um, she talks about a good degenerate connects with the audience on a visceral level, but that must also be accompanied by a compelling backstory. So this is where she says like, you know, a brute breaking into a sorority house and hacking away at a scantily clad Greek girl means nothing until we learn that the members at uh, Alpha Chi rejected his sister, right? Mm -hmm. It's like sometimes we find out at the end, we're like, oh, and then all of a sudden we love the movie because there's a meaning. Right. The other thing we know about Freddy Krueger and why I think his character was creepier is we know that he was born he was a, a adopted and he was born out of rape and he he goes on to be a child killer now mm-hmm. as the movies go on they allude more to him killing like teenagers and young adults but really the 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 basis of his first uh, the origin story was he was a child killer. He was a child rapist. He was a pedophile. They don't talk about that as much because people thought it was a little too much, but his story was deeply psychological. And I think there's a big reason why, you know, Freddie as just a, you know, a guy with burnt marks and, and claws on his hand would not have gone as far without having the sort of story that we see intermittently throughout the series. And I think we just find that, more valuable and why nightmare on elm street was supposed was able to make so many is freddie had a story and Mm -hmm. it plays all the way out to the end it does when you when all those flashbacks come up and you learn more about his childhood i think we mentioned that when we did our full rewatch i think we did too that like just one of the differences because we've been doing these full rewatches of franchises and stuff and Mm -hmm. that one i think one of the things we said was that it was congruent yeah all the way through like him as a person and as a story a character i mean was very congruent all the way through, which really helped. It does help because slashers can be really easy to make if it's just about blood and gore. Oh, yeah. So there's a methodology behind them too. Oh, there certainly is. The good ones anyway. And I think slashers, they turn them out because they make money. Yeah. Slashers are one of the bigger box office for horror with kids and teenagers and young people. And so they turn them out. Sure. In an altogether different story... (laughs) Potential Parkland school shooting juror, the juror, mind you, cites sugar daddy so she can be excused. I'm sorry? Yeah. A potential juror for the sentencing trial of Parkland, Florida school shooter Nicholas Cruz tried an unusually frank confession to avoid serving on the panel, and it apparently worked. She told the judge she was too busy because of her sugar daddy. 
Judge Elizabeth Scherer <laughs> tried to appear, well, non-judgmental, as the woman described a schedule packed with her son's birthdays, her husband, and an outside commitment. I have my sugar daddy that I see every day, the prospective juror said in a courtroom video posted by the Daily Mail. I'm sorry, the judge said. <laughs> my sugar daddy, the woman repeated. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about, the judge said. Well, I'm married and I have my sugar daddy and I see him every day, the jury, j- juror prospect explained. The judge told the woman the court would get back to her. <laughs> she was eventually dismissed. You think that was why she did it, though? She was eventually dismissed. Once selected, the jury will decide whether Cruz will get life imprisonment or the death penalty for after killing 17 people at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in 2018. He ple- pled guilty to murder and attempted murder in October. So you could see they were like, do we really want the nut case on the juror? But- jury? Do you really think she was or she just didn't want to be a juror? I don't know because one, I mean, I'm making a joke. I don't think people with sugar daddies are not cases, but I can imagine that using that as your excuse, excuse is a little bit nutty. And so to me, it's like, is the person, does the person have limited intelligence? So they think that that's actually going to be a good excuse. Awesome. And so then they're lying. Like what you're, I would say that if she's lying and, and trying to make up something to get out of it, that she might be of limited intelligence because that that's not a good reason. I just feel like someone who has, even a sh- though it got her out of it. Yeah. I think it got her out of it because they're like, Maybe she has limited intelligence or maybe we just don't want this kind of I mean, um, at the ethical consideration. I don't course. know. You know, I don't know if she was excused or if or she was, you know what I mean? Like dismissed or I just feel like somebody who has a husband and a sugar daddy is quite manipulative. <laughs> they, I don't know if they have limited intelligence. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know either. I don't she's, know either, but if you have a relationship, some other people. I, I mean, if you have a relationship, I mean, she's saying it in open court. Obviously, well, everybody knows. Known. Everybody yeah, knows. Guess. So, I mean, I wouldn't assume that it wasn't condoned because That's people true. can run their relationships however they want. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's bizarre it's for sure. <laughs> I mean, if I was doing jury selection, I'd probably go, yeah, no. I mean, I, yeah, I think that's what it was. Right. I mean, my, my guess is it's just like, do we want this type of person on this important of a jury? And I'm not talking about moral issues because no. maybe they have an agreement in their, no, in their but- marriage, but I'm talking about someone who's going to use that as an excuse. Like I'm just really, what well, also <laughs> points to like, her reasoning and when you're on a jur- That's what jury I mean. yeah you need to be able to reason and take in relevant information and weed out the i mean this is someone who's talking about her sugar daddy yeah it's it's just That's what all. i'm saying like yeah so i use the phrase limited intelligence but i could say you, you what you're saying is maybe the part of her intelligence that's at issue is her reasoning capacity yeah, i mean i don't know how one so we're to narrowing do down we're we're drilling down we're drilling down we figured waste, it out we figured the, it out into the intelligence yeah we've solved the problem you're welcome you're welcome <laughs> that was an article that pepper that's of course so bizarre brought to my attention our patrons often maybe she thought her sugar daddy would get her out of it <laughs> Now that would be reasonable. Now that would be a reasonable uh, assertion. Yeah, no, I was just going to say our our patrons are have access to us regularly and, and often show me a bunch of articles and I bring them That's to the amazing. show. So that one was from Pepper. Thank you. <sighs> All right. 
And so this next thing that we're going to do is a little thing we like to call Wow, that was like the whisper tone. Breathy. Wow. I hope they heard it because it was delightful. We have another patron on this one. Oh, God. Okay. There's some weird questions on this one. Is that because it's from one of our patrons? No. Because they are delightfully weird. I just kind of went off and found weird shit on this one, I think. Cool, man. Number one. (laughs) You're like, no, that was me. The Aztecs discovered the avocado. The translation is a derivative of what English word? Okay. Number two. This film featured an advertising campaign that infamously displayed a horrifying image from the film on the home screen of an Xbox 30 console, even on the accounts of underage children. Oh, no. Whoops. Whoopsies. Mm -hmm. This one's uh, uplifting. Ready? Okay. Okay. If the sun exploded right now, Uh you wouldn't know it for about how long? (laughs) okay i've heard that one before okay number four what month and day is considered world zombie day (laughs) nice okay and number five since we're on the topic where we were on the topic freddy krueger's character had a serial killer name he was known to the community as freddy's incontinuity name was what i'm going to give you Three options. Okay. A, the Springwood Striker. B, the Springwood Slasher. Or C, the Springwood Rapist. Got it. That's super perky. Oh. That's Kathy hitting her mic. Punching it. (laughs) Today on the show, we are moving on with our Ted Bundy discussions. Hello. (laughs) Hello. Hi there. Hi, everyone. So today on the show, we are at the second to the last episode where we are talking about Ted Bundy. For those of you who have been with us for the four years we've been around, we did a Ted Bundy series in our first season, and our audio was not the best, and, and we were pretty new to this, but we felt like we wanted to revisit the content and then add in anything that we may we may have missed or that we may have wanted to reboot, so to speak. And these episodes aren't available anywhere else, so what we're doing is kind of repackaging them, putting them all in these series. And today and next week are the last two of those, so we are wrapping them out, but it has been interesting to... <laughs> to revisit not only our kind of bias and, and, and our thoughts back then about it when we were first looking at it. And we've done so many shows and talked about Bundy so many times since then that it is interesting to hear back. And, you know, I've, I've enhanced the audio, I've, I've edited it, and we're listening to ourselves. So forgive us if we jump in and heckle ourselves. Right? That's correct. <laughs> All right. So... 
we're just going to jump in. So what you're hearing is a, a re-edited audio, but we are also here listening to it live with it. Here we go, Kathy. I know you got haven't it, got it. I'm ready. I know you haven't heard this. <laughs> I go away and edit these chunks. And then when we record, Kathy's here rehearing them for the first time in four years and going, oh, God. Yeah, sometimes they're a little cringy. <laughs> I know. All right, here we go. This is Shannon, and this is part three of our three-part series on Ted Bundy. Kathy will be taking us through three sections today of the Ted Bundy story. The last three sections we've got in this series, the first of which is the details and insights into Ted Bundy's trial, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to be talking about, obviously, he had uh, a couple different hearings along the way, but we're mostly going to talk about the final one, which followed the Chi Omega homicides. Okay, great. So yeah, we'll start there. And then I also did a little bit of research on two of the main people who interviewed him while he was in prison. One who was his main guy when he was on death row. And I'm also going to take us a little bit back just to go over one of the interviews from a journalist who interviewed him before he was caught for the Chi Omega murders. And the reason why I'm going to do that is I want the audience to see how much he changed from pre-death row <laughs> to death row <laughs> right. and how much less he really had to protect himself once there was you know nothing quite left and he started giving more information and then we'll talk about you know heading towards the ex the day of his execution and even till the very last day the stuff he was trying to pull so perfect yeah so that lays out the three parts we're gonna do tonight we'll start with the trial right we left off on the last episode when he was arrested and um, he was arrested for the murder of Kimberly Leach, who was a 12-year-old girl who had been abducted by him following the Chi Omega uh, murders, which were at the sorority. And so once he was arrested in June 1979, he stood trial, Bundy stood trial. So from the beginning, he really, this is where you start to see the psychopathy and the narcissism, if you haven't already, he really starts to right. now become very overt in this by the way he decides to sort of quote unquote handle his own trial from the very beginning he completely sabotages his entire case which is so typical because everything is about control and uh, not thinking about consequence he needed to be in charge he needed to represent himself he was completely paranoid and did not trust any of the he had five different court appointed attorneys and he turned them all down and when he was interviewed about this later the woman asked him you know why did you choose to do this and he's just simply said well i just wanted to be involved in my own case but re really <laughs> he needs in mean, control <laughs> he needed to be in control and nobody was going to be as smart as him and like we've talked about with narcissism before there's a level of paranoia because they assume people are all like them. So I think that he didn't trust anybody to handle his case. Well, and there was a ramp up too, right? Because I remember where we left off in the last episode was the end of the killing spree that he had gone on. Mm -hmm. And he was, I remember that there was, you know, he was frenzied. He'd gotten out of mm -hmm. control. He wasn't really able to hide things or Absolutely. hold back and any of that. So by the time he gets to trial, he's already in this state. It's almost right? like a, almost like a mania in a way, right. which, you know, and, and they do sort of go through the, the mania or the depression as well. And I think that in this state, he was, he was all about, he, he was on a roll. 
<laughs> like right. I said, he's on <laughs> right. for lack of a better, yeah, right. So he, he goes to trial in Florida on June 25th, 1979 for the murders of the sorority women. The trial was televised uh-huh. and I'm not sure how much those trials were televised at that time, but this one was, and he really played up to the media when on occasion he acted as his attorney he wore a blazer with it was like a houston astros ring t-shirt underneath you know very casual almost like fuck everybody constant smile on his face still really thinking he could beat the guilty verdict and here this also speaks to his narcissism as well as he turns down this plea bargain the plea bargain was he would plead guilty to killing the two sorority women and the third woman on that campus, Kimberly Lafouche or Lafouche. Mm-hmm. She was the one who was in the, the apartment that evening after he left Chi Omega. And so he would say all this in exchange for three 25 year sentences. Okay. Mm-hmm. So initially he saw this deal as a good thing. Initially he's like, you know what? I can avoid the death penalty and I can buy more time. He never thought he would serve these 25 year sentences, but right. he took it more like, okay, you know, I'm going to take this plea because I can buy some more time. I'll be able to wait a few years for evidence to disintegrate, for witnesses to die or move on. So he had this grandiose delusion that he was just going to outsmart everybody by taking this plea. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes people will often retract their testimony if it's been a few years. They're just like, I don't, I don't want to go back to this. I've yeah, right. You me. got a plan. There was you a got, plan. yeah. So sort of he like had wait this whole he had this whole method behind what he wanted to do. So he was relying essentially on a potential deterioration of all of this stuff. So he could file then a post-conviction motion to set aside the pleas and secure an acquittal. So this was his big plan. But mm-hmm. narcissists are very impulsive. Mm-hmm. So at the very last moment. that grandiosity really overtook him, that um, the defense mechanisms kicked in. He became extremely concerned that he would have to actually stand up and admit in front of the whole world that he was guilty. Mm -hmm. So he, it was really about him not wanting to admit that the court was right and he was wrong. So he ends up rejecting the plea deal. So Mike Minerva, he was a public defender at the time. He quoted him to say, it made him realize, or Mike quoted, it made him realize he was going to have to stand up in front of the whole world and say he was guilty. He just couldn't do it. So he went on to prove his innocence, which we know how that turned out. The second episode when we were talking about Lisa Levy, which was one of the Chi Omega victims who died, they brought in a forensic odontologist and he matched the castings of Bundy's teeth to the bite wounds on her buttocks. And obviously the casting matched the teeth. Hey, hey, so I I just wanted to go back to that part where he's talking about the plea. I don't want to misquote on this, but I also think that there was a part of Bundy that didn't want people to think that he was insane or didn't know what he was doing, mm-hmm. right? With speech, that grandiosity as right. well. Like, no, I'm I'm responsible. I did this, right? right? And I think we've talked before, we'll get people who ask, like, what's the difference between psychopathy and sociopathy and the way that it's displayed? And this is where we see, I think, the clear distinction between a sociopath and psychopath is that sociopaths, which are also known as like secondary psychopaths, have more of that narcissistic grandiose they need to be perceived a certain way they need to be liked they need to their reputation is very important to them where a psychopath would say i don't need anyone to like me as long as i get 
I get away with this. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to point that out because to me, that's how I know he's a sociopath. Yeah. It's one of those distinctions that we try to make along the way when we do these series is how each individual killer that we look at Mm -hmm. has these different nuances to them. It's not just psychopathy. It's not just narcissism. It's not just antisocial personality. It's not just, Mm -hmm. you know, there's so much nuance to that, which is what we try to do out, which is great. That's a great thing to add. Secondary psychopathic traits are impulsive, grandiose, narcissistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's stuff that even just over the course of our podcast so far is how we for ourselves studying all these people and then having to explicate and, and sort of explain them to you guys is, has helped us totally, you know, delineate all of these different pieces in an even more concrete way. So even since we did this, it's like, I see it so much more. Oh yeah. For sure. All right, let's go on. And so that was really the smoking gun. So the jury deliberated for less than seven hours, which is really, I mean, a lot of times juries will sit on these cases for two to three weeks, yeah, um, if not longer. So less than seven hours, and they convicted him on July 24, 1979, of Bowman and Levy murders, which were the two women, three accounts of attempt and two accounts of burglary. And he received by means of the electric chair. So this is what he received for rejecting the plea. So do you, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you, do you believe that the seven hour deliberation, um, the speed that that happened, do you think it's because they had an overwhelming evidence load or just the total depravity of the crimes that the jury was emotional about that or I would imagine it's a little bit of both I think that this guy had been going for five years I think they Mm -hmm. were finally glad that they caught him I think that they were able to present a lot of evidence and I'll get to this towards the end but the amount of people who surrounded the prison when he was executed I don't think our country's ever seen anything like that right so I think they just wanted him gone and and the judge I think even the judge there was a lot of emotional reactivity in In the court in the court and I think that definitely played a part in the decision that's my opinion I don't know for sure but I would no no for sure I'm definitely asking you for your yeah I mean I would imagine that you know I, I also know from testifying in court myself that a lot of times you know they'll they'll choose certain times of years like the summer where teachers are off because they tend sure. to be more of a you know they get they're the ones who get screwed a lot so depending on the case they're, they're going to want teachers on the jury so I think they're going to pick people who are really going to have an aversive response I don't know unless you have another psychopath on trial I don't know how you could root for this guy after right all and, the and, if, and, and if Bundy is heading up his own voir dire you know jury selection is going to be I mean I don't know how well he's going to do that right like that's right it would be for his lawyer to fight to have a a fair jury and and i'm guessing he didn't do that very well yes and he he didn't you know he didn't want any attorneys working for him so yeah it was all i mean god only knows you know he thought he knew everything and he thought he could charm the pants off of everybody because he had done that for so long there were so many grandiose delusions going on and he was in denial too i mean he had he's still at this point and I'll get to this in the interviews at this point has, has not admitted to anything, but he has alluded to potentially knowing the killer. There's some weird stuff that happens in the interview. So he is still really convinced that he is innocent. And even his mother till the very end defended him on the stand. Yeah. So anyway, so six months later, a second trial takes place in Orlando 
And this is specifically for the abduction and murder of Kimberly Leach, who was the 12 year old girl and his last, allegedly his last victim. He was found guilty again after less than eight hours of deliberation. So again, very quick decision. And this is interesting because we don't use this a lot in court anymore, but the decision was primarily based on an eyewitness testimony of an individual who actually saw him speaking with Leach and leading her to his stolen van. I, I believe eyewitness testimony is still at times used in court, but I, I know that there's been a lot of studies and research since this case that proves it's not really an exact science. So I wonder yeah, if this was happening today, if it would have been the same outcome. At that time, they were still, they still respected that quite a bit. Yeah. And I think even if the jury just hears it, that's, you know, they're not going to sit there and say, oh, is this an empirically valid science? I think they were just like, wow, okay, someone actually saw this happen. They're going to believe it. They're going to believe it. So that happens. And so on February 10th, 1980, he's sentenced for a third time to death by electrocution. So now he has three of these. Yeah. So he allegedly stood up during the sentencing announcement for the lease trial screaming, tell the jury they were wrong. So he really starts to now kind of he starts losing his shit mm -hmm. so this is now the third death sentence and it would be the one that would carry out nearly nine years later so the three death sentences definitely pushed him ahead of the you know in the front of the line because you yeah. know people can be on death row for a really long time i would imagine that's the the public opinion piece of it too i think so too is for that, sure you know the famous the the horror it really pushes them to speed that and so many families who didn't have answers i mean this guy was just he was a monster so sort of random side note yeah. during all of this he was in a relationship with, with a woman by the name of carol ann boone and so he had been dating her through kyle nega and all that stuff so there's this obscure law in the state of florida i don't know if it still exists but it did at the time that because she was a, a witness and in the courtroom when he was sentenced Mm -hmm. They allowed him to be legally married simply by making a marriage declaration in front of the judge. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So now he marries her. I wonder if that happened before or after the death sentence was levied. Like, I believe at what point it was, do you stop I, down? <laughs> I believe it was after. So she ends up testifying as a character witness in his trial. So she's in the court. So and then in October 1982, Boone gave birth to a daughter and named Bundy as the father. So somewhere out there, he has a daughter, which would be okay. kind of interesting to look at. So that's just kind of a some fun facts on the side. So yeah, so the trials end and he gets, you know, rather than just taking a plea deal, this guy ends up with three death sentences okay. and scheduled for the electric chair that they would call old Sparky. I guess it was a chair used quite a bit. And he was one of the last ones to be executed in it, I believe. You can go online and look at pictures of it. It is just really ominous. Yeah, they um, don't do the electric chair anymore. No, no. And this one, I guess, had been around for a long time and even had a name and the whole thing. And it's just they have pictures of it. And it's just really creepy. Yeah, that's pretty sick. Yeah, it's really <laughs> sick. So that sort of takes us to the end of the trial piece. I mean, it was pretty straightforward. I mean, I think the only thing that I will just elaborate on a little bit is you know, he was quite a performer in court. He smiled a lot and he was very coy and he really just wanted, it was, it was almost like he was on stage and really wanted to win the jury over like he had done with these women. And it just didn't work this time, but you can definitely look up. There's a lot of videos, you know, that are his trial and you can sort of watch his demeanor. It's something I can't really explain through a podcast, but Really interesting to sort of watch his body language and the yeah. way he sort of presents and carries himself. So yeah. that, that he would knew be... 
he knew he had the world stage, right? Absolutely. Probably think, what he was leading up to. I think so. And it's, it's almost like was, this was his shining moment. You know, this was his, well, his fame. There was. Hmm. All right. So there it is. That was a big chunk. That mm-hmm. was the trials. Mm-hmm. I'm struck by, <laughs> I'm just struck by us, of course, listening back to it. Yeah. I've already edited it, of course. So I've heard it once and, and edited it. And all I do, guys, is I just edit out some chunks and, and boost the audio and stuff because it was just, I did nothing back then. But you might have heard a couple of audio dropouts. Those are things I couldn't fix. You, you think of how he um, <laughs> conducted himself through the trial. And yeah. you just, I mean, nothing like that would ever <laughs> happen today. I mean, he, if you watch video from the court footage, I mm-hmm. mean, he's just a clown. I know they let him take over. And they let him take over. It was a total spectacle. It I was, mean, it was like a kangaroo court. I mean, in this day and age, they would have closed the court to media oh, because they would yeah. not have wanted to give him the stage. But that's because we have now an additional 50 years or whatever of knowing this kind of pathology and what it's after. Yeah. And judges now will shut that shit down because they don't want those, these, these type of people to have that stage. And because others tried, right. I mean, Manson it's, I mean, you know, there were some, there were some people they they were familiar, you know, they have been familiar with and now are familiar with so many, I'm not saying Ted Bundy was the first. I'm just saying. Yeah. I just, I, when I listen to myself, that sounds funny talking about the trial and just the, how he dressed and you just, you would just throw out these really absurd comments and yell at everyone. And uh, it's just, it's nothing like that would happen. Today. And then he had the judge marry him. And then he had the judge marry and him. And they said, yes, that's what I'm saying. Like he was running the joint. Yeah. It's just like how many times he escaped right. and we've from been the talking library about that. And the, yeah. It's like, they were mesmerized they by him, him so much or they just didn't expect it or they didn't know, like they underestimated him. I think, I, I don't know. I, I'd be very curious to know the pathology of all the people that came in contact with him and kind yeah. of let him run around like this. Even the reporters, even the yeah. FBI agents that and they've the interv- done movies about the interviews at the end with his crocodile tears. And I still think the only reason why he admitted and owned up to his crimes at the end is because he wanted to leave the world, letting everybody know how brilliant he was, how much he really got away with. And it came out in this faux remorse. And that, what, and how a victim, you know, that's what narcissists yeah. want. They want you to there. He, he's a victim. He's a, he's a victim, but also in a, in an, un, like in a way that he's also displaying his trophies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I really feel bad for this one and this one and this one and this one. Yep. That was all me. Grandiose. Yeah. Oh, all right. <laughs> and he's well, like what you and I have said, he's really one of the most boring. Oh, he is. He is. He's uh, people yeah. love him, but he's predictable and boring. Well, even we are kind of looking at him like it's more mesmerizing how he got away with so, so much. much. Not not so much him. Yeah, I mean, his story. Certainly his childhood is is very interesting because mm-hmm. I'm a shrink. So I find that stuff interesting. But but it's more it's more how the world and the system interacted with him honestly so we'll be right back we are going to go into our movie watches and books in the next segment and then next week we'll be wrapping up this portion of the 10 bundy revisit so we shall be right back
Sarah, we are back. We are going to talk about some movies that we just watched. We are. We are. I will start. I caught in the theaters. I actually got to go to the theater the other day. Delightful. If you if you guys aren't going to the theaters it's yet. It's so much fun, isn't it's it? It's so good. I went to our fave, our favorite theater, which we have found that has some pretty good snacks, although they were out of the pretzel bites. It's really very unacceptable. Oh, that'd be like it being out of popcorn for me. It's like supply and demand issues, they say on the website. And I'm like, no, this is unacceptable. But they did have popcorn. Everything, everywhere, all at once is a 20 oh, I've heard this is so good 2022 comedy sci-fi it's over two hours long as all the new movies are these days that are in the on my list and I would say get on it and see it in the theater okay yeah that's what I heard I've I heard this from a client and she said honestly Kathy if you're going to see anything this year see this when an interdimensional rupture unravels reality an unlikely hero must channel her newfound powers to fight bizarre and bewildering dangers from the multiverse as the fate of the world hangs in the balance. So Michelle Yeoh, I believe is the way it's pronounced, it is like a it. pretty famous Chinese actress. And she's phenomenal in it. Female hero, her daughter is also phenomenal in it, whose name is Stephanie Su. And then... And then, and it goes on. And Jamie Lee Curtis. Is I mean, it. and then Jonathan K. Kwan. I mean. From Indiana Jones. I like, mean. As a grown man. Dr. Jones. Yeah. It's. What a cast. It's a great man. cast. So it's a great cast. So what I will say about this is because it's a brand new movie. I'm not going to go into any kind of details. But I will say I highly recommend it. It is hilarious there are points in it where i just i couldn't stop laughing it was just you just don't understand what you're watching it's so funny i will also say it's overwhelming so yeah. it's a sensory overwhelm the sci-fi is pretty great but it's got you know when you first saw the matrix or you first saw uh crouching tiger hidden dragon or any kind of bigger scope sci-fi where your brain is like wanting to explode a little bit because you do have to lean in and you have to allow yourself, which sometimes we aren't that great at, to not know what's going on in order to know what's going on later. <laughs> like you just have to, you definitely have to surrender to the overwhelm of it. But honestly, it's a great mix of, huh? what wait what and then something hilarious and then huh wait oh wow that's really beautiful <laughs> oh my god and laughing and then wait what happened where did the oh ha, ha, ha. you know i mean it's like your your oh your sensory overwhelm is very clear but the outstanding performances it absolutely ties together it has very strong female performances it's beautiful and bizarre and surreal and cool it's like when you first saw the cell or something like this is way better than the cell but like those those visuals right yeah but it's also horror there's violence there's obviously sci-fi there's there's comedy i mean man it sure does have it all it's very imaginative yeah i heard it's i've heard nothing but it's lofty like it could have gone real real badly like yeah. like a lot of groundbreaking movies right <laughs> mm -hmm. you can see how a zhuzh this way or that way could have messed it up mm -hmm. pretty badly, but man, 
I know, I, I'm telling, like, everyone who's talked about it is talking about it the way you are, where it's like, I don't want to give it away, but just know. Well, you can't. Yeah, you don't want to because it's new and it's it's really good. And so yeah. you do want to go into it with a certain amount of, yeah, shish. <laughs> a certain amount of not knowing because that's part of it, right? That's part of the beautiful movie experience of a new movie in a theater that's really good is you really just don't know what's going to happen. That's true. What you watch. I started watching season two of Cursed Films, which I'm really addicted to. I knew you were going to be right on that. I yeah. saw it. I was like, oh, Kathy's yeah. totally going to be right on that. So what was the first one? Uh, <laughs> one of my favorites to break down and dissect, which is Wizard of Oz. Oh, nice. Um, and they, you know, we've talked, I've, I've brought in horror facts with stuff from Wizard of Oz and we've talked about mm-hmm. just all the crap that happened on the, the set. And my God. Okay, so, you know, this is the first episode. The second season just like busts out with this. I think Rosemary's Baby's also on this one too. Okay. It addresses a lot, of, not only how Buddy Ebsen, who played the Tin Man, had to quit after suffocating from the toxic aluminum makeup they put on him. Yeah, I knew that. Ugh, and awful. apparently, even all the way later into his life, he had issues with breathing. Like it, it had screwed him up the rest of his life. But the biggest part, like we all, we already know that, you know, Judy Garland was messed up after that. And, you know, all the stuff that happened to her on the set. Then they go into the controversy around whether a munchkin actually hung himself on the set. And only in the original VHS copies can you see that. What they do is they re-edit it and they put like a bird in the back that looks like a current, like a, like a ostrich or something. So to this day, there's this whole controversy around whether that original scene that was, you know, computer generated with another scene. And it's only on the first so many copies, which is worth, those are worth a ton of money now. And there are people who've like dedicated their obsession to figuring out this whole mystery as to whether that really was a munchkin who jumped off and he's like seen swinging and hanging. And a lot of people are just like, seriously, that is not what happened. But if you look at it very closely, it certainly looks like that. And it's the scene, I think it's right after they pick up, it's either the lion or the tin man. I can't remember. All four of them are like going down that we're off to see the wizard. And then you kind of see it swinging in the back. But the the worst part of this episode, and I had no idea about this. Now, we knew that there was some shit talked about the munchkins. Mm -hmm. But apparently, Judy Garland, and I bet it was partially because it was a revenge fantasy that she said this. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's because her reality testing on that set and how much she was gaslit and abused... This may have actually been her reality, but they, they, uh, she went on a talk show like years later and said that the munchkins were having orgies. One munchkin brought a gun to set. They were drunk all the time. It was this really crazy story. And so they end up making a movie, I think in the eighties called under the rainbow and it's with Chevy chase Mm -hmm. and it is a complete insult. What it's doing is it's reliving Judy Garland's interview where she talks about the I think it's the Culver City Hotel it's one of those hotels on the west side where suppose this is where the the 
the munchkins were were the entire time of the recording of the film and apparently they just ran ran amok and they made this movie and they talked about how looking back at it even the director is so embarrassing because the the little people that they used for the film were so objectified and, and it really what he looks back he goes i swear to god i wish i never made it like oh, it's it su- such yeah yeah but this episode is it goes way beyond a lot of the things that i knew about wizard of oz and then clearly it also goes into you know the decline of judy garland and everything that happened to her but it's a really good episode oh great i'm looking forward to that i will binge them at some point Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what I did last time is I ended up just binging them and watching them all kind of at once I don't know are they doing it like every week they're coming out with a new one or did they drop the whole thing you know I didn't even look oh the other thing too sorry yeah. the last part too is they go um, into Barbara Hamilton's story or Margaret Hamilton's story excuse me who played the Wicked Witch and there's a lot of really great stuff on her too because she's such a fascinating character and how she went on to Mr. Rogers mm-hmm. to show the kids that she wasn't scary, mm-hmm. you know, because she had ended up terrified. She also did the Maxwell House commercials at that time. But <laughs> um, it's really good. I haven't looked to see if they dropped them all because I was I was actually going to bed and I'm like, oh, I got to watch at least one because it just <laughs> came out. So I haven't looked. I got it. I got it. It's like your favorite. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So just like last week, I did a little bit of a palate cleanser after seeing everything everywhere all at once in the theater because like I said it was it was a lot to digest and so I didn't want to I'm doing this these days where I didn't I wanted to have that sink in and really feel that movie you know how a good movie you can just sort of feel it afterwards and you think about it a lot and everything so I just didn't want to watch anything else that was really intense so I watched Finch from 2021 with Tom Hanks have Mm -hmm. you seen that I haven't On a post-apocalyptic Earth, a robot built to protect the life of his dying creator's beloved dog learns about life, love, friendship, and what it means to be human. So it's Tom Hanks doing what he does best is acting alone. (laughs) He really does. (laughs) With, uh, he's not really, there's a robot that he builds and there's his dog. And then there's, there's also another small robot at the beginning. But that's one of the reasons why I wanted to watch this because... Tom Hanks, I know it's probably going to be feel good. So it's, I knew that I, I enjoy watching him on the screen. He, he's, he's definitely one of those lovable type of actors where he invokes for me a lot of emotion and uh, like, I always kind of like his characters, like kind of loving and it just, it's sort of, it's like, it makes me warm and, and and often if it's a pretty good movie, it'll, it'll bring up some positive emotions for me. So I was definitely going after that. Plus I like, I like a sci-fi with robots. (laughs) And then I saw that he had a dog and I'm like, okay, just like last week, I'm like, I'm watching all the dog movies again. The dog does not die. Good. Tom Hanks movie. Come on, you guys. Dog's not going to die. (laughs) It's a feel-good movie as well. But it is sci-fi. It is apocalyptic. And he's got a robot buddy. Yeah. So we've seen all those things, of course, before. And, but I enjoyed it. It's, it's not, it's kind of like, it's futuristic. And, but there isn't a lot of fear or conflict that comes to resolution in other words there are things in the movie where you think oh no is this where something really bad is going to happen but it never gets to that point where you're really frightened for them (laughs) so 
that's kind of also why it stays in the feel-good camp. Okay. Is, and, and also probably why it's not as successful as maybe some other types of movie in this genre is because I don't ever really see them coming up against a real adversary. Okay. The adversarial stuff is kind of within them, within the little band of brothers here that's like traveling around. They have some nature issues, some things that happen in nature mm-hmm. that cause some crisis. And, and there's a little tiny bit of human threat crisis, but... But nothing where you get too super scared or anything. It's, you know, like Wally or any of those kinds yeah. of movies. Like it's yeah. robots and it's cute. And I like the robots. There's a lot of humor, of course. I mean, Tom usually throws in some humor. So I'm kind of giving it like that solid three out of five stars. Like I would sit and watch it again if it was on on a Sunday kind of thing. It kind of sounds like, did you ever see Tomorrowland with George Clooney? Uh, I don't know. Okay. The, uh, the movie that literally came out about. Tomorrowland, Disneyland, yeah. <laughs> but they, they made a whole film sure, on it. Sure, um, sure. It kind of reminds me of that where there's this like underlying ominous, you know, futuristic yeah. thing, but it, I think it's Chloe Grace Moretz and oh, George sure. Clooney and it, you're described like the way that I felt when I was mm-hmm. watching it is there's these comedic outlets, but it is this like futuristic kind mm-hmm. of uh, ominous yeah there's an ominous thing that never really appears so you're not ever okay. really you don't ever really think they're actually in jeopardy there might be like one or two moments where you're like oh shit is this where it's going to go down and then it kind of never does so it's not the most memorable of you know post-apocalyptic sci-fi thing but i think that if you're looking for tom hanks being charming and a really really cute dog yeah. And he literally builds this robot to take care of his dog. Aww. It's the cutest thing ever. It's called Finch? Yeah, Finch. Okay. I mean, it's slow. It's it's yeah. not something you're going to like sit down and maybe watch for two hours and 15 minutes or however long it is. Oh, no, it's only two hours. But uh, you might, you know, little bits and pieces. It's it's it, it's kind of cute. Yeah. What else? Uh, I watched the movie Master with Regina Hall that came out on Prime. I think it was I've been Prime wanting original. to see that. How was it? Save your save your time. Okay. And here this is I'll tell you why. I, I watched it because I felt like this director was Mariama Diallo, I believe is how you say it. Um mm-hmm. I love everybody in it. I think the the acting was wasted though. Love Regina Hall. I think that Diallo really tried to pull a Jordan Peele in a way that it just didn't work so oh. the premise is three women strive to find their place at an elite northeastern university when anonymous racist attacks target a black freshman who insists she is being haunted by ghosts each woman must determine where the real menace lies now the potential for this movie to be real horror was there yeah the, that's why i wanted mm-hmm. to see it the problem that i had as did some of these reviews when i was looking them up a appeared to agree with some of the things that I was saying does not work as a horror movie. It's not even remotely scary. Uh, it's story and lore are confusing and underdeveloped. Um, in the real life microaggressions it throws at its characters are so familiar to viewers of color that they're nowhere near as shocking nor surprising as the film thinks they are. So ah. it's too, uh, elementary. I wanted them to take, because I think like Jordan Peele has obviously used, race and marginalization in these really incredible ways, but you still don't lose track of the fact that you're watching a horror film. And I was waiting for the horror. It's genre congruent, right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and so yes, there's weird stuff happening. And, and one of the students, you know, continues to reflect back on this journal of a girl who died there. And there's some of that, but what I felt is it really deduces the black female characters to their trauma 
it's almost like, do you remember when we were reviewing Manhunt and Pepper had said, you know, are we really still in that place where we think that, you know, women's only trauma is rape, Mm -hmm. right? It kind of has that, like, these women could have been really deep, multidimensional characters that the trauma was something bigger than just, and I want to be careful when I say this, when I say just racism, obviously racism is huge, but you could have taken racism for each of them and made it so much more explicit and so much more personal. And this felt like an introduction to sociology. Mm. And it just felt like black women have been through so much and they could have really made this so much deeper. And it just kind of stated this, like, this is what racism is surface. Mm -hmm. And I didn't care about the characters and I didn't, wished for their well-being regina's hall regina hall's character was probably the the easiest she's such a good actor she was successful but then also had to play this game with the white privilege characters and sometimes she would get tied between like she's on the board and you've got all these white people yelling at this you know one black professor and she's like caught in the i need to do my job and i'm supporting this woman so but it felt more po- sociopolitical there oh. it was missing like the scare yeah yeah so i was disappointed okay yeah yeah and and there are so many filmmakers that are doing what you're I describing know. well these yes days and that's that, what i would i was waiting in comparison it just pales right yeah it uh, wasn't <sighs> all right well thank you for that yeah. i think the next thing we're gonna do is some answers yes we are two the horror facts with calf we are we are i'm excited for that are you i don't know in, in many of them well no i know i think i know a couple of them all right hold on let me find the right one because i have so many in here <laughs> um here we go the aztecs discovered the avocado the translation is a derivative of what english word i don't know testicle oh what you will never eat an avocado the same way or maybe you will what <laughs> I learned that from, I was playing one of those like what? trivia games yeah. a couple weekends ago and my friend and I just started laughing. It's like you pick a topic like politics, entertainment, whatever, you know, and then you have to like guess the facts. It's a great place for you to get some research done. No, I learned a l- there were some real facts. That was one. God. Number two. This film featured an advertising campaign that infamously displayed a horrifying image Sorry. from the film on the home screen of Xbox 360 consoles, even on accounts of underage children. This was the other one I don't have any idea. The Evil Dead 2013 remake. Oh. Whoops. Wow. Okay. Number three. Mm-hmm. If the sun exploded right now, <laughs> how long would it take for you to know? Uh, I didn't remember exactly, but I, I have known this fact in the past. So, um, I think it's like six, seven, eight minutes. Eight minutes. Oh yeah. Eight minutes. Good job. Cool. That's crazy (laughs) that it would take that. I mean, it's pretty powerful. Yeah. Like it could be happening right now. We don't have any idea. Every eight minutes you can freak out again. (laughs) Starting now. Boom. Number four. What month and day is considered World Zombie Day? Uh, I don't know the day, but I think it's October. It is. It's very close to my birthday. Oh. It's October 13th. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense, right? Yeah, it month sure and does. And number five, Freddy Krueger's character had a serial killer name he was known to in the community. 
Freddie's incontinuity name was what? A, the Springwood Striker, B, the Springwood Slasher, or C, the Springwood Rapist? Springwood Slasher. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So Thank which, you. well, hold on. Who, oh, right. We have a patron on here. Right. Uh, blue with either three or four. Ice number two. Ah, the totally evil got dead. That wrong, but you see how blue would have done zombies. I totally see that. And you see how blue would have done the sun, sun exploding. exploding. Maybe yeah. you're just channeling. Maybe. Her. Maybe. And so wait, it was ice with the Xbox with thing? the evil dead. Yeah. Oh my god, I would have never gotten that. Yeah. Ever, ever, ever. But that's a great fact. It's I didn't a great know fact. anything about that. Can you imagine being a little kid and be like, ah, <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I cannot. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Kathy, for showing up. Next week on the show, we'll 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 end our Ted Bundy. Is re- that is that because I don't show up sometimes? Are you That's doing because, shows without me? No, it's oh. kind of like I used to have this boss that would say, "Thanks for showing thanks up. for showing up," because <laughs> it was a hard job, and so it was oh. like I'm just. He was like, "I'm just really happy when you all show up every day." Okay. <laughs> So thanks for showing up, Kathy. Thank you all for listening. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. (laughs) 